Welcome, everyone. I appreciate you guys tuning in to the Max Schmarzo podcast here. As always, a big thank you to everyone, all the supporters, everyone who tunes in. We got a good little episode here today. We're going to be diving into, I don't want to call these myths of training. That's not the right word, but unexpected positives, maybe. Is that the right word to use to describe it? I'm not really sure. We're going to dive into a series of those topics, uh, specifically the idea that you can get a lot out of training, even though training might not be that intense or as long as you think it might have to be, and some modifications you can make within there. And then we're going to dive into some other fun stuff after. So I, I mean, you go on social media probably, as you I, and you just see a abundance of information. And a lot of that information is about how to train as like oh it must be as humanly hard as possible. Is that the best way to describe it? The training itself doesn't seem very fun and exciting. I had a teacher at Iowa State who used to talk about how training back in the day was this, hey, you can do it. Everyone can do it. Who's that guy? Is it Gene Simmons? Yeah, the like the dance. Gene Simmons is a musician. Oh my gosh. This is a Simmons guy who does the dance thing where he works out and stuff. Simmons workout guys. I currently Google it. Richard Simmons. And he talked about how Richard Simmons was the most inclusive, easy to do, fun training guy out there. And for some reason, that sort of mindset isn't gravitational to anyone anymore. Because it is doable, no one wants to do it. But as someone who's listening to this, you might be interested in, getting, in bettering yourself in the performance world. And at the end of the day, you can do so much without much effort. <laughs> and being really honest, you don't need an hour. You don't need to work out necessarily, you know, Somebody's got seven times a week. You can get away with really good efforts, probably taking in totality 15 minutes, 20 minutes, and get so much done in that 15, 20 minute period. I'm not talking about during that 15, 20 minute period, you do every single exercise humanly possible. A really good 15, 20 minutes dedicated to one to two movements every day, every other day, will go really far. If you had a day where you bench pressed and you squatted, and the next day you did a pull-up and an overhead press, the next day you did an RDL and you did whatever back exercise you're on, a row or something like that, I don't push-ups, incline, whatever it might be, and you just have 15, 20 minutes and you try and lift heavier and you try and push yourself, that will go a really long way. And so here, let me explain. When you look at a training program and you kind of map the entirety of it out, you start to see that we there's a lot of stuff done because we enjoy it. Not necessarily because it has the highest yield. Of the workout, there's probably a 15 to 20 minute period that gives you the highest yield on your efforts. Now, the other stuff where you do the bicep curls and the isolation work and the, the specific stuff that you enjoy, and yes, it does cause 
positive change in those muscles. It's only going to yield positive change in those muscles. It's not going to have a systemic effect. When I say systemic, I hate that word. People just say, oh, just deadlift and your testosterone will go through the roof and you'll have massive gains everywhere. No, you simply have progress because there's lots of muscles being worked. And when lots of muscles are being worked and they're under load, they're going to create some level of adaptation. So if I'm doing a squat, I'm doing a deadlift, I'm doing a clean, I'm doing a, whatever the heck you want to do, a bench press, I'm using a lot, using a lot more muscles than just my triceps or just my quads or just my glutes or just my hamstrings, whatever. So you can think about that window of time, that 15, 20 minutes, and just put forth a really good effort there and you can get so much done. Another issue with this is people often, when they are time crunched, get limited because they have these excessive warmups. A lot of times you're not doing high velocity, just if the move, if the training program that you're going to do isn't going to have 45, an hour worth of movements that have different variety of movements in them, you don't need to warm up for every single movement type. There's no need to warm up for sprints if you're not going to sprint today. We're just going to do your squats. Your warm up can be pretty straight and to the point. So you can start to be efficient in your warm up. As a matter of fact, some of your warm up, a lot of your warm-up can be working sets or sets building up to your working sets. That makes sense. So when you warm up with a squat, you can warm up doing the squat. That is okay. I've done that hundreds, hundreds of times. So you can warm up doing the exercise. So by the time you start to map everything out, you can get a great workout in 15, 20 minutes. I'm not sure why the 60 minute, this 90 minute allotment has to be there. It doesn't make any sense. And this is also for people who want to sprint, who want to jump, who want to do all this other stuff. It's because the majority of the yield of that training program probably happens in the first 20 minutes. It doesn't mean the other stuff you do isn't effective. It doesn't mean that there isn't going to be a 10% benefit, a 15% benefit from adding these other exercises in. It's just that my guess, 80% of the benefit comes from the first 20 minutes of the workout. At least more than majority. I'd be willing to put a lot of money on that. It depends what kind of exercises you do, so on and so forth. But even the logic behind it, you get tired, you get fatigued. The capacity to perform decreases with each following set. So if you do... 15 minutes and the next 15 minutes, you have less capacity to perform. So the next 15 minutes, the 30 to 45 minute mark, you have less capacity to perform. So that's one thing you can think about is being really strict to the point with your workouts. Number two is you're allowed to do workouts throughout the day. No one is mandating you have to have an hour period. You can walk five, 10 minutes a couple times a day. You can jog five, 10 minutes a couple times a day. If you have time, you can do whatever mini cardio thing that you'd like to do. And now you have 10 to 15 minutes of cardio and 10 to 15 minutes of weightlifting. And that's a 30 minute workout, which seems to be very repeatable every day. So we put a lot of constraints on ourselves, where we work out, when we work out, how we work out, that sometimes it gets in the way of the actual workout. And another reason why this is important is when you start to think about professional athletes, and those are the individuals whom I work with, we can do 
multiple workouts during the day that are 15 minutes long. As a matter of fact, I'd rather have that because I can recover from those 15 minutes. I basically have the opportunity to repeat the highest yield portion of a workout over and over again. I have the ability to do that 15, 20 minute burst, take a break, recover. Another 15, 20 minute burst, take a break, recover. So now we're able to get these really high effort, high yield outputs over and over and over again during the day that don't have any accrued buildup metabolic fatigue, mental fatigue. Think about the last 20 minutes of workout. You're kind of tired. Sometimes you don't want to be there. You're, you're, you are at the highest state of depletion during your workout. You have the most fatigue, the most mental weariness and not wanting to do-ness. Do-ness. That's, that's, that's a word. Um, and then you have the last portion of it is you actually typically, most people in a workout, you have the highest metabolic demand. You do like drop-off sets and you do burnout sets and you do things like for reps because... You are already fatigued from the first 15, 20 minutes where you put in the high intensity work. So it's not about just working absolutely insane. It's about being consistent. It's about making sense with your workouts and having a plan that maybe you have a macro plan. Oh, this is what I want to do in a week. Great. I can't fit that all in a week. I don't have the time for that. Can I break this into 15, 20 minute pieces? You don't hear that discussed that often and organize that fashion per se, because you can do it multiple times in a day. Now I like Corey Schlesinger and he promotes micro dosing. I wouldn't call that micro dosing per se. I'm not just um, saying you can only do a specific small load output because you're having other physical activities such as basketball, whatever it might be, and you're trying to limit strain and fatigue and constraints of that workout imposed upon your playing setting, because in his situation, working with professional athletes, the idea is simply that you're working out and then you don't want to have that interfere with your games. So how do I balance that? So that's the idea of microdosing came into play. Sure, great option for situations, but I think you can... Simply just look at a workout as a whole and not have it be less of a workout or smaller version of a workout, but maybe just the idea of applying what parts of the workout actually matter most. And then you can do that again a couple of times throughout the day based on your constraints. So it's kind of like if you do it in a certain way, you could have almost lots of mini workouts throughout the day, a bunch of 15, 20 minute 30-minute workouts. This has been popularized by many different people too. I've heard that, you know, the, the eight-minute workout, I'm sure you've heard that before. And the 12-minute workout and the daily 15, whatever the heck it might be. And all those are great concepts and theories. But at times they overemphasize, I think, just the heart rate aspect of it, which is great. Nothing wrong with that. But you can still go to the weight room and do five sets of five reps on your squat. And that'd be a very effective workout for the for the day for your lower body. It's a very good workout for your lower body. Five sets of five. That'll go very far. So I, I think we, at times, get caught up in feeling a time constraint because that's typically how we operate. And we have an allotment of time, but maybe that doesn't always have to be the way we do it. So I'll leave it there. I don't want to dive any further into that. Um, 
it's an awesome discussion and conversation piece that we can have further down the line. Uh, I think it benefits a lot of people if you do just really, not the athlete per se, just the average person. You can get a small workout in. That's very effective. Very much to the point of what you're trying to accomplish. And even though it feels like you're not doing enough, it certainly, first off, is more than nothing. And secondly, really can be effective and you can make a lot of progress with it. Well, well, we're going to move on to some more serious conversations here. And we're going to have a fun little top five cereals. A little bit of a draft goes down here. By the way, when it comes to cereals, I was looking up a list of cereals and I've never, I don't think I've ever had cookie crisp. I don't think I've ever had Twix. Twix. That's a candy bar. Tricks. Tricks. Is that the candy? The one with the rabbit? Golden Grams. I never even thought was a cereal, really. I thought that was just like a snack. Um, nor uh, corn pops are gross. <laughs> just going to leave that there. So we'll walk through it. I'll go to the top five here. Um, number five, Rice Krispies. People are going to get mad. They're going to say, oh my gosh, that's a dumb pick. Rice Krispies don't have any flavor. They're not very good. And I would actually agree with you. Rice Krispies in isolation don't carry much weight. Rice Krispies are extremely versatile. They are the glue guy. They're that person on the pickup team who can't make a shot, who can't dribble a basketball, but tries unbelievably hard on defense, unbelievably hard on rebounding. They die for the, floor, the ball on the floor, die for on the floor for the ball. They don't want to shoot the basketball. They want to set screens. They are the person you want on your team. Are they a superstar? No. Do they make your life better? Yes. Do they make your life easier? Yes. And do they make the game more enjoyable? Yes. All in all, Rice Krispies deserve to be in the top five cereals. Just because of what they can do. Number four, Captain Crunch. Now, the reason why Captain Crunch falls low for some, specifically my dad is a big, gets his number one, is that you might as well, if you don't wait for the milk to set in on the Captain Crunch, you might as well just go eat some sandpaper. The roof of your mouth will hurt eating more than a, seven bites of Captain Crunch. Captain Crunch might have it is not missing the crunch. I'll tell you that much right now. Captain Crunch is always a week away from being inedibly stale. It's one week away. Off the production line, you got one week after that to consume it. Otherwise, you're in a pickle. It's tasty. I like Captain Crunch. I think it's one of the most it's more unique flavors. I'm not even sure what flavor Captain Crunch is. I was going to give it a flavor, but I don't know what flavor it is. The fact that it has Captain Crunch is very cool. It's a cool character. It's a cool box. It reminds me of Vacation. Captain Crunch weighs in at number four. Number three, we start to get into some debates here. I know who my number one is. Number three and two, I went back and forth on. And as I sit here, I almost just switched it. Oh, I might. <sighs> Boy. See, I like Frosted Flakes. But I think I like the idea of Frosted Flakes more. 
which is why they don't get to be in my top five. I know it's unbelievable. Frosted, I don't. Frosted flakes are good. Maybe I need to have some. Maybe this is a sign. Then you go try some as an adult, see if I will think differently of them. And then I thought about maybe like a cocoa pebbles. Do I do cocoa pebbles in here? Do I not? And I said, nah. I love the fact that the cocoa. First off, rice crisp. Were the cocoa pebbles the one I like, or is the uh, it's the cocoa crispies? Cocoa crispies are superior to cocoa pebbles, by the way. And I said, no, they don't get to be my top five either. Both were very close, high impact performers, but no, I'd be very happy with them if I got them. The Rice Krispies versatility beat them out. And yes, Rice Krispies are more versatile than Cocoa Krispies. Undeniable. So, number three, we go Frosted Mini Wheats. And this is a hot topic one. People are like, you really went with Frosted Mini Wheats? I said, yes, I did. I'm not talking about the Frosted Mini Wheat box where you get stuck with half the unfrosted mini wheats. You're just eating mini wheats. That's not exciting. I specifically enjoy the last 25% of a box of frosted mini wheats where I remember getting frosted mini wheats as a kid. And the first thing I would do would be put my hands in the package, the plastic wrapper and just crunch them. I crunch them up because no one wants to eat a whole full bore frosted mini wheat. It is too large that will wreck your mouth that will wreck your teeth wreck your not fun but when they are a little bit smaller broken down they're very good if it was just the broken down version frosted mini wheats would have a case to be in the top two if it was just the solid version frosted mini wheats would not enter the top five which is why it sits at number three it's a very good cereal. Very underrated. It, it kind of has that health factor to it. Like, oh, is this healthy? It's frosted mints, mini wheats. Could it be? It's not healthy. Well, I don't know. Maybe it is. Who knows? It depends what you want to consider health. Makes me feel good. Frosted mini wheats, number three, is a cereal. And when you start to get the top three, you start to get into cereals that I could eat multiple bowls of. And frosted mini wheats enters that conversation, number three. Number two, Cinnamon Toast Crunch. It is the best candy cereal out there. Cinnamon Toast Crunch, without a doubt, is the best. It is good when it is fresh out the box. You can eat it with your hands. You can put it in milk. The after milk tastes very good. Cinnamon Toast Crunch is the highest performing candy cereal out there by far. It's the best. Cinnamon Toast Crunch, whenever you see that, you're like, yeah, I kind of want some. I don't really say that with many other cereals, but Cinnamon Toast Crunch, absolutely. I don't think there's even much conversation around this. Cinnamon Toast Crunch is good in number two. Number one, <sighs> guess at home, take away, no. It's not Reese's Puffs, it's candy cereal, not in the top five. Honey Nut Cheerios, mm-mm. Nope, I'm not insane. I'm not picking it there. Honey Bunches of Oats. The blue package, you want the almond in it. Is undeniably the best cereal. It has the candy kind of taste to it. It has the health twist. It's granola. It has almonds. Almonds are healthy, good for your heart. Brain food. 
Honey Bunch of Oats is the best cereal. I have maybe consumed bags of Honey Bunch of Oats at a time. Not bowls, bags of Honey Bunch of Oats. Now, people will get up in arms. Oh, that's if I had to pick one cereal, I'm not picking Honey Bunch of Oats. You're crazy. No, you don't get it. Honey Bunch of Oats is like LeBron's career. Consistently amazing. It is not the one Brady Anderson season at for the Orioles where he hit 7,000 home runs. A flash in the home run pan. No. There are other cereals that for one to two bites will blow your socks off, whisk you away. Honey Bunch of Oats day in and day out comes to work. It shows up and it performs at its ability. There is not a bowl that you pour yourself during the process of consuming Honey Bunch of Oats throughout the box that has a large variation in performance. It just doesn't. Honey Bunch of Oats is that hardworking leader of the company who shows up every day, leads from the front. Was it Braveheart where he charges from the front? Maximus, Decimus, Meridius, and Gladiator where he leads his men to victory and then turns down the appointed emperorship, the new Caesar. That's what Honey Bunch of Oats would do. Honey Bunch of Oats would be okay if you picked another cereal ahead of it. I said, sure. I want what's best for you. Honey Bunch of Oats says that. And when you eat Honey Bunch of Oats, you're thanking Honey Bunch of Oats for their work. You say, you know what? I appreciate you. And they gladly accept it. But they don't get offended when you eat some other cereal that is the flavor of the week. Honey Bunch of Oats carries the team and doesn't ask for any praise. Honey Bunch of Oats is number one. And if you think otherwise, I don't want to call you an idiot, but you're just not as informed. It's that simple. You just haven't learned yet. You haven't appreciated it. You haven't gotten older. You just don't have the wisdom at that point in time to realize that Honey Bunch of Oats is the best. So what's your top five? Feel free to share. I shared mine, and it's the right order, as it should be. That's the top five cereal list. Period. There isn't a debate, but you can you can offer yours up. If you don't have Honey Bunch of Oats number one, I'm not going to read it. Not interested in your wrongness. I'm not interested in hearing your incorrectness. A very good way to determine whether or not someone should be employed for a job is to figure out whether or not Honey Bunch of Oats is at least in their top three cereals. If any person puts Fruit Loops in their cereal, you know how that conversation ends. Does it end with you're hired? Nope. Fruit Loops, are you kidding? You're a maniac if you put Fruit Loops number one. Concerning, to be honest with you. But Honey Bunch of Oats number one. That's what we have for a podcast. I appreciate you guys listening and hope you all enjoyed.